Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hope. Uh, I really hope that you heard the most important line in the Bible reading that Peter preached for a really long time. So uh, we're so glad that you are here, and I probably won't preach that long. Um, it's the second week of a message series that we started last weekend on the book of Acts. It's part of our theme for the year, 12 books in 12 months. We wanted to become a little more biblical as a congregation, biblically fluent as a congregation. The subtitle for the theme of the book of Acts is Renew Year. Renew Year because it's the start of a new year. It's January. It's a time of the year when a lot of people kind of have a mindset that's focused on renewal. What changes do I want to make in my life or the direction that I'm going, the path that I am uh, pursuing? And so this is a perfect opportunity for us to build a bridge between where people already are and what God is up to. And God is very interested in renewal. God wants to renew you, God wants to renew me, God wants to renew this world. Back in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah, God is speaking to the people of Israel about some new things, some renewing work that God wants to do through the coming of the Messiah. Let's read this verse together. Isaiah 43 verse 19, we'll put it up on the screen and let's read it out loud together. I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun do you not see it? As you read through the book of Acts, and I really encourage you to be reading through the book of Acts, it's not very difficult to notice the new things that God is doing. In Acts chapter 2, where we will be hanging out today, the Holy Spirit gets poured out. Uh, people start speaking in tongues, just like the babies when they were baptized started speaking in tongues. Did you hear that? Nah. Um, and 3,000 people get baptized and added to the church in one day. And part of what I hope you notice as you read through the book of Acts, what God was doing then, it's also what God is doing today. You heard we had a new member class last weekend at Hope. Hope-wide, 394 new members, 51 of those right here in Ankeny. We're praising God for that. Yeah, you can praise God for that. You also heard in the Hope 360, we had uh, three new Hope local sites officially start uh, last weekend in Iowa City, in Clear Lake, and in Bondurant. Uh, the picture on the screen is of uh, the Bondurant group where there was over 140 people who showed up for worship. God is on the move. God is doing something new. And the question for us is the question God asks through the prophet Isaiah. Do you not see it? What is the new thing God is doing in your life? What is the new thing God is doing in this world? And do you see it? Are you aware of it? Or are you more focused on something else? Maybe more focused on the things in your life that aren't going the way that you want them to be going? I'm not focused on the things that frustrate you? What about the new thing that God is doing? What's the new thing God is up to in your life as this year gets started? Now, last week, we kicked off the message series by talking a little bit about the kingdom of God. And this idea that Jesus has a little different understanding of kingdom and power than we typically have. We talked about the difference between right-handed power and left-handed power. Uh, right-handed power is the kind of power that just kind of busts through the front door and makes its presence known. Uh, when you apply pressure in just the right place, you can get an expected uh, outcome, an expected result. That's right-handed power. And Jesus uses this. It's, it's a very useful kind of power. His miracles and signs and wonders, he just, you know, ta-da, look what's going on. But Jesus also employs left-handed power. And we talked about it as maybe the power of smell that sneaks in the side door and then eventually permeates the entire room. Jesus talks about it in a, a parable in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of God is like yeast. It's 
a little bit of yeast that you put into some dough, and as you knead it, as you bake it, the yeast starts to have an impact. It starts to change that lump of dough and changes. It permeates the entire loaf. And so through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, he's working this slow and not always easy to notice kind of power that's bringing about the kingdom of God. And some people missed it. Some people didn't see it at all. And so they shout out, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus dies. They bury him. And then three days later, the power of God raises him to new life. He appears to the disciples and he says, go to Jerusalem, wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That gets us to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 begins on the day of Pentecost. And just a quick word about Pentecost. Uh, It's one of the seven religious festivals that God has commanded the people of Israel to uh, remember and to celebrate every year. Uh, Go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, You're in luck. Leviticus is not one of the 12 books we're going to be digging into over the course of of this year. But in Leviticus, you see a lot of the commands uh, around daily living, but also around worship that God gives to the people of Israel on their way from Egypt and to the promised land. And so there's these seven kind of week-long festivals. Uh, You won't find the word Pentecost in Leviticus 23 you'll find a harvest festival that happens 50 days after Passover. Seven Sabbaths plus one day, 50 days after Passover is this festival, a harvest festival. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, they call it Pentecost because the Greek word for uh, five is penta. 50 days after Passover is Pentecost. And here's what happens the 50 days after the Passover where Jesus is killed. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. We're talking about the goal for this year. We want to become more biblically fluent as a congregation. One of the things that holds us back from becoming biblically fluent are passages like this. Passages that we read when we actually decide I'm going to make an effort to engage in Scripture, engage with God's Word, and we read something that's completely unrelatable to, so completely different from anything in our experience, we just kind of roll our eyes and like, what, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And, and so it's easy to just kind of give up before we really get started. So let me tell you why a passage like this actually seems believable to me. It's what happens next. The next thing Luke writes, remember it's the festival of Pentecost and so people have come to Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire, from North Africa, from Europe, from Asia, different countries speaking different languages. They're all there. And Luke says they all hear this mighty rushing wind, loud noise from heaven as the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And they're like, did you hear that? What was that? Let's go check it out. Let's figure out what that noise was all about. A couple of weeks ago in New York City, there was an explosion at an uh, electrical plant, I think it was, and it turned the sky above New York City this bright, glowing blue. And before people figured out what had been the cause of that, everyone on social media is kind of freaking out. What is going on in the sky above? Our, are the aliens finally invading? And, and so everyone's trying to figure out what that sight is that they all see but they can't make sense of. Same thing happening here in Acts chapter 2. What was that sound we all heard, but we don't know what it was? So they follow the sound, and they end up where Peter and the other disciples are, and they start telling them, here's what's going on, but they're hearing Peter and the other disciples talk to them in their native tongue. It's amazing to them. 
Well, to some of them. Others are like, they've clearly been up partying all night and they're still drunk. That's what the Bible says. And so Peter, I'm telling you, you should read. For me, it's not so much the theological arguments and logic that causes me to want to dig into scripture. It's details like this. That's like, why is that even included? But I think it adds to the authenticity that what I'm reading about actually happened. And even if I don't completely understand it, it causes me to want to dig in and explore it a little more. So Peter stands up, thousands of people who are there wondering what is going on. And Peter says to them, it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early to be drunk. And then he starts talking to them about Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised that this is what's going on. It's all part of God's plan. That whenever there are things in this world, things in our lives that are broken, God always has a plan how to put it back together, how to rebuild it. That in our lives, when we go through these seasons of doubt and confusion and hopelessness where our spirits are just completely dry, God has a plan for renewing us. God sends his son Jesus. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to do this renewing work. And Peter, who has had three years of experience hanging out with Jesus, and now the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, begins to tell them about his experience and how it connects with his understanding of Scripture and why he believes Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord. I think sometimes we forget what a big deal Jesus was. Everywhere we read in the Gospels, Crowds of thousands of people are following Jesus around wherever he goes. And so when he was arrested during the Passover festival, when he was crucified and died, everybody knew about it. Everybody was talking about it. And when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty on Easter Sunday, everybody was talking about it. Everybody knew about it. Luke, the guy who writes the book of Acts, also writes the gospel of Luke. In the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, he tells a story about two guys walking home from Jerusalem, having celebrated the Passover where Jesus has the crucifixion and the resurrection, and the resurrected Jesus joins them on the Emmaus Road and asks them, what are you talking about as you're walking down this road? And they look at Jesus with astonishment, with bewilderment, like, are you the only one in the world who's not talking about Jesus? Everybody's talking about him. And remember, now we're in Acts 2, the festival of Pentecost. It's not even two months later. It's less than 50 days later, after all these events have happened, and everyone is in Jerusalem wondering, you know, this is the first festival since Passover when all those crazy things happened with Jesus, and his disciples say he's alive. Is Jesus going to make an appearance? Is something spectacular going to happen? They have all these questions, and then Peter explains to them, here's what's going on. It's all part of God's plan, and they realize they've missed it. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 Here's how they respond. It's on the screen. Read it with me. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do? The clip we watched at the beginning of the message is from Kitchen Nightmares. Gordon Ramsay goes around to restaurants that are in need of renewal, in need of change. And part of what I found fascinating about it is he doesn't just show up just out of the blue. He's been invited There are many people working in that restaurant who are like, something needs to change or else we're going to go out of business. And so they're like, Chef Ramsey, you're the master. You tell us, what should we do? What should we do? And we will do it because what we're doing isn't working. But there's one guy, Mike, the head chef, the owner, 
who's like, yeah, maybe we can make some changes here or there, but really we're doing just fine. And if there are changes that need to be made, it's not with me. It's not my cooking. Everything I'm doing is great. It's somebody else who's the issue, something else that's the problem. And so Chef Ramsey, he tastes the food. It's disgusting. Later on in the episode, he's standing back in the kitchen just kind of observing how it works, and it's equally just disastrous. And so at the end of that clip we watched, he sits Mike down and he says, you're either in denial or you just don't care. You're either in denial or you just don't care. Anybody ever said that to you? Boss calls you into the office, says, I got some bad news, going to have to let you go. And you're like, why? And the reasons that the boss lists are the same reasons your previous employer and the one before that listed when they had to let you go, why it wasn't working out. You're either in denial or you just don't care. Maybe you're having, I don't know, a budget summit, your household, husband and wife getting together, looking at the numbers and the finances, and maybe in the middle of that conversation, one of you says to the other, you're either in denial or you just don't care. Or maybe it's a behavior, an action, a word, and it's time for that conversation where once again you explain how what your spouse has done or said, how it impacts you, leaves you hopeless, nothing seems to be changing. You're either in denial or you just don't care. Get together with a good friend over coffee, and it's that crucial conversation where they're pointing out a character flaw and how it's impacting the relationship. And the whole time they're talking to you about it, you're thinking about all the other people in your life who have said the same thing to you, pointed out the same thing to you, and nothing has changed. You're either in denial or you just don't care. It's what Chef Ramsey says to Chef Mike. And of course, those are two possibilities for why nothing is changing. But they're not the only two possibilities for why many times in life we just get in this repetitive bat pattern of behavior over and over and over again. In college, I worked for two brothers who were carpenters for a couple of summers, and one of them uh, was selling his motorcycle one of the summers I was working, and so $600, I thought, I can afford that, I bought it. I had no idea what kind of a bike it was or anything about it, I don't know still to this day, other, it says Suzuki on there, so it was a Suzuki, that's about all I know about it, and had a blast just riding around the back roads of Hardin County that summer. But when it was time to go back to school, I thought, that might be a bad idea to take my motorcycle with me to college, so I left it home. But at spring break of that year, I thought, I think it'll actually be kind of fun for the last several weeks of my senior year of college to have my motorcycle with me, so I wanted to ride it home. But it was really cold at spring break still, and so I needed something warm to wear from New Providence to uh, Pella. And so I went to my brother and said, could I borrow a pair of your overalls? Overalls that he wore when he was doing chores on the hog farm where he worked. That's an important detail for you to remember in this story. <laughs> overalls my brother wore doing chores on a hog farm. And so they kept me warm all the way to Pella. And when I got to my room, it, it was more of a townhouse than a dorm. And uh, so we had a, a skylight in our room. And so there was space above the closet. I took the overalls off, threw them up above the closet and just kind of forgot about them. Well, Flick was my roommate. And if you want to hear some fun Flick stories, uh, take Alpha and I'll tell you a little bit about Flick and why in the world do we call him Flick. Anyway, uh, Flick and I noticed over the next couple of days, people would come into our room, just kind of stop in the doorway and start smelling the air. <laughs> Something stinks in here. And Flick and I were offended. Yeah, you, you stink. That's what stink. And they say, no, 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 something just smells awful in here. Flick and I are like, I don't smell anything. You smell anything? A couple weeks later, 
a couple of weeks later, I had misplaced something, and I was looking for it, and I thought maybe I put it up you know, above the closet. So I climb up there to see, and there's the overalls, and I take a whiff of those overalls, and I realize our room smells like a pig pen. <laughs> it was not that I was in denial. It was not that I didn't care. It was that I was so close to it. I was living in it that I couldn't even notice it. I didn't understand that there was something that needed to change. Chef Ramsey says to Mike, you're either in denial or you just don't care. Maybe. Or maybe there's something else going on. Take a look. Listen, seriously, have you been drinking? I'm having a vodka cranberry juice. I saw you drinking some beer. Uh, two beers, sir. Two beers. Two beers. That is not the way forward. You've got to get your head in the game. Listen, I drink too much, you know. But why I, are you doing I, this I to yourself? I, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm like, I'm lost. I'm lost in space. Why? I don't know. Life's just getting tougher for me, man. You know? I mean, this business is failing. I owe everybody money. I got two daughters going to college. And I'm just trying to, like, make it. You know, and it's not working anymore, you know? I don't this know where to move from here. It's hard for me, you know? This is my passion. I only know how to cook. That's all I've ever done, you know, since I was 19 years old. The passion? When did that go? I don't know. After Dad passed away? Yeah. You know, since my father died, I'm starting to give up. I am. I, I can admit it to you. I'm like, I feel defeated. Is know? that why you're drinking more? Yeah, probably. You can't go down this line, Mike. You cannot go down this line. It's the beginning of the end. I'm telling you. Well, I don't know what to do next. I really don't. I'm confused. But you've got to get out of denial. And there's got to be a fire in your belly that you've got to rekindle. Sometimes we're in denial when it comes to our sins. Sometimes we just don't care. It feels good. I'm going to keep doing it. I kind of like it. And sometimes we've been living with it for so long that we forget that this is something that probably needs to change. We're unable to see the ways in which it's making a stinking mess of our lives. But always, always, we are powerless to do anything about our sin. What the Bible teaches, what the Christian faith teaches, is the only power that can do anything about our sin is the power of God's love. Chef Ramsey says to Mike at the end of that clip, you got to rekindle that fire in your belly. That's what you need to do. The crowds say to Peter and the other disciples on the day of Pentecost, we missed Jesus the first time. We actually had uh, celebrated his death. Now what should we do? And let's read together Peter's response to them, Acts 2.38. Again, it's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Just like there's a fire from heaven that gets poured out on Peter and the disciples in that room on the day of Pentecost, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to rekindle the fire of his spirit inside of each of us. And the starting place, the starting place is repentance. That's a fancy word that just means turn around, change direction. Think about the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. There's this son who has a wealthy father, and he says to his dad, I don't want to wait until you're dead to get my inheritance. I want it now. 
So the father gives it to him, and Jesus, as he tells the story, says, the son goes off to a foreign land and squanders the wealth on wild living, bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, after he's lost everything, lost it all, he ends up in such a desperate place, he goes to work for a hog farmer, feeding the pigs. And as he's feeding the pigs, he's like, I wish I could eat this food that I'm giving to the pigs. He's in that kind of a desperate place. And kind of the hinge point in the story, Jesus says, when he came to his senses, when the son who's blown everything, and he's sitting in the middle of the stench of that pig pen, when he came to his senses, like he has lost his senses, he, he couldn't feel the pain in his father's voice as he said goodbye and left. He, he couldn't hear that. He couldn't see the mistake that he was making. He couldn't smell the stench of his own sin. He lost his senses. But when he came to his senses, when he regained his senses, the first decision he makes is to change direction. I'm going to go back home. And I'm going to confess my sin to my father. And he does, and the father welcomes him with arms wide open. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, would write uh, later on in Scripture, if we confess our sins, God, our heavenly father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's something cleansing about forgiveness. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow, the psalm writer says. Create in me a clean heart, O God. It's a connection between cleansing, washing, and forgiveness. Jesus, on the night that he is arrested, he wants to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter says, uh-uh, I'm never going to let you wash my feet. Jesus says to him, did you, did you remember this? Jesus says to him, unless I wash you, you cannot belong to me. It's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Unless I wash you, you cannot belong to me. One of the things we say when we do baptisms here at Hope, part of baptism, what, part of what it's always meant is now you belong. You belong to Jesus. You belong to the body of Christ. We're glad you're here. There's a place for you here. Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash you, you cannot belong to me. And so Peter says, then not just my feet, but my head and my hands to wash all of me. I love church history, and I love some of the stories that come out of church history. Uh, talked about a new membership class that we had here last Sunday uh, at Hope, two and a half hours long on a Sunday afternoon. Many, 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 many years ago, that's not how uh, new member classes went. In the early church, it was a three-year process. You would sign up to become a catechumenate, and you would get a sponsor assigned to you, and for three years you would learn the catechism, which is just a fancy word for question and answer, question and answer. It was the way that you learned the principles of the Christian faith. Now, at the end of that three-year process, you could be baptized and become a member of the church, and the baptisms almost always happened on the Saturday before Easter, part of the great vigil of Easter. And so Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter, and a lot of times people will uh, fast from something or give something up for Lent. If you're a catechumenate at the end of your three-year process, ready to become a member and be baptized, during the season of Lent that year, you would fast from bathing. You would not clean your body for 40 days. The I, I know. We're going to do that this year. Just kidding. Uh, the, idea, the idea was let's get as stinky and smelly as we possibly can before baptism so that we understand the power of this. I told you smell was power, right? Uh, that we understand the power of the washing of the baptism waters. 
So at the end of the service today, we're going to extend an invitation to you to come to the waters of baptism, to be washed, to be cleansed, to have your sins forgiven, and to belong to Jesus. We'll just say, line up over along the ramp, and we'd be happy to baptize you. In baptism, we align our life with the life of Jesus. Jesus, who carried his sins on the cross, died, was buried, and then was raised to new life. In baptism, part of what we're saying is, I want to die to my old way. I want to die to my sinful nature. I want to die to those destructive patterns of behavior that have made a stinking mess of my life, and I want God, the power of God's love and the power of the Holy Spirit to raise me to new life. I don't know what it is that has brought you to this church on this day, but maybe, maybe it's that the Spirit has been stirring in you, getting you to the place where you are ready to come to your senses and to be baptized, to be washed, to be cleansed, and understand there's a God who is waiting for you with arms wide open, to just shower you with love, to pour his grace into your life. It's also possible you've already been baptized, and God has been at work in you, stirring some things within you as well, and you might want to uh, affirm your baptism. Again, one of my favorite stories from church history, as we read through the book of Acts, we see churches spreading and growing and uh, kind of infiltrating the entire Roman Empire. Within 300 years, Christianity has become the official religion of the Roman Empire. There's some good things about that and some not so good things about it. But part of what started to happen, when the Roman army would go off to battle, they would start to baptize all the soldiers first before they went to battle. But the way they did it, often they would march into the river or the lake or wherever they were being baptized, but the soldiers would hold their right arm up in the air so that their right arm would not get baptized. Every part of them would go into the water except for the arm that would hold the sword that they would use to kill the enemy. What does Peter say? Wash all of me, wash all of me. I think this happens to us in so many ways. We keep a part of us away from God. Like I come to church when it fits my schedule and I bring my kids to Power Life or Ignition or Vacation Bible School because my kids need faith, but it's not really for me. And we just like... I, I want you to kind of be the God of my life and kind of be the Lord of my life, but I still want to be angry sometimes or greedy or proud or boastful or rude or arrogant, and I, I'd really like to hate that coworker every once in a while. So baptize me, just not all of me. And maybe today's the day for you to come to your senses and to say, that way of life just doesn't actually work. I don't want to keep anything from you anymore, Lord, and so I'm going to come and I'm going to renew my baptism and say yes once again to the promises of baptism. Part of the promise of baptism, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, Peter says. And then he says, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I think so many of us don't understand the ways in which our sin is enslaving us and keeping us from experiencing the fullness, the freedom of the life that God has for us, relationally and otherwise. And so for me, the, the picture from the movies that is, I think, a powerful picture of the freedom and the cleansing of the waters of baptism is Andy Dufresne's escape from Shawshank Prison. He's in prison for 20 years, chiseling away on, on this wall, creating a hole so that uh, he can escape. But the only way he can escape is to go through the sewer line to get out, to get to the water that's going to cleanse him and give him freedom. So as you take a look at this, be thinking about in your own life, 
What, what are the things that you don't see? Maybe just ask God to open your eyes so that you can see that this morning. What are the ways in which you resist completely giving your life over to God and to his way and to being filled with the Spirit for a life of freedom?